Let's turn our attention to uh, today's Mark chapter 9. We've been in a series called Come Follow Me. And so what we've been learning in, in the book of Mark is what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is it a bunch of rules? No. Is it to be a perfect person? No. Um, Jesus has been systematically, progressively, through these chapters of Mark, teaching us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today's conversation, Jesus is going to talk about power dynamics. Ooh, we may say, ooh, power dynamics. Couldn't you have chosen an easier topic? Um, well, um, it's in chapter 9, so here we are. Uh, we're going to talk about power dynamics. Jesus is wanting us to know, how do you become great? How do you have power? Those are the questions that we have. Uh, maybe you read a Forbes magazine article that was entitled, You Need to Know the Seven Types of Power if You Want to Succeed. It's an interesting article. I encourage you to maybe go back and read that one. But you need to know these seven types of power if you're going to succeed. Um, before I touch on what those seven are, and before we look at our passage today, I want to mention that throughout history, people have used power to influence people and to have control over people in incredibly devastating and harmful ways. Some of those ways are coming to your mind right now. I'll list a few of those ways that have been very harmful and horrific. Being male has been, has been one of those ways. Being white has been one of those. Being privileged has been one of those. Being a privileged white male has been one of those means by which others have used their power over others to control others. Um, being a local versus not being a local is a way in which people can use power. Owning a home versus finding out that someone actually rents theirs instead of owning theirs or someone is without a home altogether. Bullying someone to have control or power over them. Fear, guilt, shame. Using a person's age is a power dynamic that's been used before. Giving false information is a way to have power over somebody. Withholding information is a way to have power over someone. Physical strength, intellectual prowess, race, privilege, gender, someone's title, blackmail, money, sex, religion, church, even Christianity. The list goes on. Mark chapter 9 is a story of Jesus talking about power dynamics. And we're going to take up some questions. We're going to see Jesus answer some questions like, what is Jesus' view regarding power? And what is it that makes someone great or powerful? What is it? Well, let's, let's read our story, starting in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. I'll read it out loud. Jesus was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But the disciples did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask Jesus. And they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on 
the way. They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he put, it in, put the child in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. Lot to cover here. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to speak to us uh, right now. Father God, we pray. Dear Lord, we all have been hurt by power. We have even hurt others by the wrong use of power. Heal us. Bring freedom to those of us who are still suffering because of ungodly power dynamics in race relations, in our families, in our schools, in our city, in our world, in our very country. Your power, King Jesus, is the only power that we can trust. And so we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, We've been starting each of the sermons here in February in honor and in celebration of Black History Month by reciting a prayer or maybe a portion of an African-American's journal who's cried out and has prayed for justice. And each of those prayers have, have matched beautifully with the very chapter that we've been looking at in the book of Mark. Today I'm using Frederick Douglass. Uh, He he writes a riveting autobiography um, called In Search of Freedom. In Search of Freedom is published seven years after he uh, escaped from freedom, or escaped to freedom. And so he's trying to make sense of his enslavement as he's writing this autobiography. And by the way, it makes no sense. And that's quite the point. Slavery makes no sense. It was wrong then, it's wrong now. It's a horrible use of power. But in his autobiography, he cries out, he prays, could I but swim? If I could fly, oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear. I'll try it. I had as well die with ague as the fever. I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running and die standing. Only think of it, 100 miles straight north, and I'm free. Yes, God helping me, I will. Wrong use of power. Wrong use of power. Slavery then, slavery now, wrong, sinful. Should have never, ever, ever happened. And as we even try to get our minds around it, we're we're like, what? what were they even thinking? There's even stories of certain um, churchgoers, certain ministers, certain Christians, a a part of certain churches throughout history who were slave owners. And you think, what? And we even use the Bible to justify such wrong uses of power. The Chinese Exclusion Act. Wrong use of power. Horrible 
excluding others who couldn't come to this country. And yet, ironically, at least here in San Francisco, um, the Chinese were slaves. Unbelievable irony around this misuse of power. So dark history of power dynamics throughout the world. Sex trafficking, I mean, the list goes on and on and on regarding wrong use of power. Um, we've seen it in uh, real estate. There's something called redlining. It doesn't happen now, we hope, but it used to happen. Redlining was such that certain um, people of certain ethnicities could not purchase property in certain areas. It's ridiculous when you think about it. We've seen it in families. We've seen it in marriages. We've seen it in churches. And um, basically power is the ability to influence someone else. It's the ability, teachers have it, um, we all have it in a way. We're influencing others. Um, power dynamics is, is the way different people or groups interact with each other and where one of these sides is more powerful than the other. You've seen it play out in work. Who has the power and how the power can shift in a meeting. Um, wrong uses of power. Forbes magazine, that article I was referring to earlier, you need to know the seven types of power if you want to succeed. Here's the seven types. The first type they mention is title power. Because you're a certain person and has, has a title, uh, it places you in, in a hierarchical system. You're the boss. You're the president. You're the manager. Um, and so this is in your company or at work that you have more power as a vice president than you did as a director. We all know that. The second way of having power is coercive power, power that comes through, through being able to punish others. Hmm. An example, if you don't get this project completed by Friday, you'll be fired. Huh. That's some power there, isn't it? Um, if you don't finish this project in school, then um, you're going to get docked an entire letter grade. The next form of power is a reward power, power that comes from being able to reward people. It's just the opposite of the coercive power. That is, if you finish this project by Friday, you get a raise. And according to this Forbes article, Jeff Bezos, Amazon CEO, is said to have once remarked, do I have to go down to the front office and get that sign that says, I'm the CEO, for you to stop arguing with me? <laughs> Title can work. You can flash your badge. You can remind us who you are. It's a sort of power. The fourth one is a referent power, the power that comes from being really well-liked. People will sort of follow people and succumb to their power just because they like them. We do that. We do that. Having lots of charisma and positive energy and people wanting to get close to that power. They feel empowered whenever they get close to it. The fifth way is called connection power. And that's power because of whom you can get access to. Example here is you have Brad Pitt's cell phone number. Anybody? I didn't think so. Maybe you do. But because you do, you're able to text him and perhaps get him to show up to an event to promote a cause that you're wanting to get behind. That's called connection power. And, and again, that can be used for good or for evil. Someone's title can be used for good or for evil. Any of these 
can be used for good or for evil. The sixth one is informational power, power that comes from having insight or information that others don't have. That's when you're in a conversation and someone asks a question you don't know the answer and we whip out our cell phone. Right? We ask Google. We ask, Google has a lot of power, right? We ask our cell phone the answer, so it's inf- information. There's great power. Number seven is expert power, power that comes from being able to do certain things better than other people. An example is, I don't know how to work XYZ software, but if we get in touch with Lauren, I'm sure she does. This person is an expert. They have power. Let's go to them. I pose a couple questions at this point. Is that the type of power? Are these seven types of power? Is that what makes you great? Is that it? Is that what makes you great? And how does Jesus view power dynamics? Verse 31. Now we're into our story. We read it, now we're going to get into it. Verse 31. How does Jesus view power dynamics? Well, first of all, notice a power dynamic here of Jesus, that Jesus is more powerful than anyone else he's talking to. Yet he's not desperately trying to like, put people in a headlock to sort of smear their nose in it to remind them of such. Yet, there's a book in the New Testament called Colossians that the Apostle Paul writes, and in chapter 1, as he's writing that letter to a city called Colossae, he's reminding them that Jesus Christ has existed before the foundation of the world. Even though he was born, yet he pre-existed. I know this is blowing our minds. But he mentions that in that letter to say that Christ created the world. Christ is powerful. Watch what Christ does with his power dynamic. Verse 31, he's talking about his death. How crazy. Why in the world would Jesus, who's all-powerful, be talking about his death? This is not what the disciples were expecting. If you remember, the disciples were expecting Jesus to come in and kick a, like, come in, take care of all this political unrest, and and Nero, who's who's emperor and and, and king, and there's so much injustice, we need a Messiah who's going to come in and just clean house. Do it, Jesus. Jesus doesn't do it that way. Jesus comes in in verse 31. He says, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to kill me. Oops. They had a different plan. Jesus' power dynamic uh, is that it's about grace and the gospel. He wants his disciples and he wants his followers to know that the power dynamic that Jesus is presenting in the new kingdom is a power of grace. It's a power of forgiveness. It's a power of the resurrection. That's where Jesus' power is coming from. He's losing power. He's giving power away to win. It's very counterintuitive. Verse 32, look what happens. The disciples didn't understand and they were afraid to ask Jesus. Interesting. They're afraid to ask Jesus what's what's going on. Um, They must have thought Jesus is so out of touch with power dynamics and how power dynamics works in politics or in the business place. Jesus, you're good for me spiritually, but you have no idea what goes on in the workplace. Jesus does know what goes on in the workplace. 
Jesus does know about power dynamics. Verse 33, check this out. Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing along the way? Now keep in mind the context is they're all walking together and as we were reading earlier, the disciples got into a conversation as they're walking. And Jesus asked them, what were you guys talking about? Look at this power dynamic of Jesus. Jesus already knows what they were talking about. But the power dynamic that Jesus uses with the disciples and with you is he asks you questions to give you and I space to reflect and think and name it so that we become more self-aware. That's the way Jesus does his power. He doesn't shame you into seeing truth. He doesn't bully you into seeing truth or force you into truth. He invites you and I into truth, usually with questions, as he's doing so here with his disciples. Uh, Verse 34, they didn't answer. They didn't want to answer Jesus what they were talking about. Why not? Here's why they didn't want to answer. It was embarrassing what they were talking about. I mean, were they back there talking about sex or were they back there talking about, you know, no. They're back there talking about who's the greatest among them. Do you notice the power dynamic of the disciples compared with the power dynamic of Jesus? They're interested in position and power and rank. And who's been following Jesus longer, perhaps? Who loves him more, perhaps? I don't know. All of these different things that they're concerned about. Now, perhaps a better argument, I was thinking through this this week, a better argument that they should have had back there is not who's the greatest, but what was the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever done? What do you think? Wouldn't that have been a cool conversation? Wouldn't that have been neat if that's sort of what we were reading right here, that they got into a conversation back there and they were almost competing with which of the miracles were the greatest. And one of them perhaps would have said, I think it was that time that there were thousands of people and Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed all of them. And one of the disciples may have answered, no, 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 that's nothing. It's that there were 12 baskets of leftovers after that miracle. That would have been the greatest one. And then another disciple would have said, no, 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 no. It's that crazy group of people that ripped a hole in the roof of that person's house so that they could lower the paralyzed person down in front of Jesus so that Jesus could heal that person. And Jesus told that person, get up and walk. That was his greatest miracle. And then yet again, another disciple would have said, no, 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 no. It was that he told that person, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't that have been an amazing, interesting conversation? That's what they would have been arguing about instead of their own power. Who's the greatest among us? Who can boast loudest among us? I mean, this is typical in at least a male uh, locker room. Who has the biggest or who is the strongest? And it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous way that we go for power. Verse 35, Jesus sits them down. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like they're in trouble. How's Jesus going to use his power now that they're in trouble? They just got taught, or they just got caught talking about, hey, which one of us is the greatest? Here's a beautiful power dynamic of Jesus. 
as he calls his disciples to him right after catching them doing something incredibly embarrassing. This is what happens to me, to you, and watch how Jesus treats you. Jesus interacts with his patients who just blew it in perfect patience. In perfect patience. He doesn't scold them. He's not saying, you knuckleheads, you absolute losers. You're going to kill our whole marketing strategy. What are you doing? It's time to have another business meeting. You didn't get it. This is our, this is our marketing ploy. This is how we're supposed to roll and, 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 and lay it all out. And, and you're ruining everything. You're ruining my logo and my image. There's patience when he calls them. And he sits them down. And what it is, is here in verse 35, where he says, if anyone would be first, you got to know that as he's saying, that if anyone would be first, don't you imagine that some of them are almost leaning forward going, I want to be first. I, I want to act like I want to be first, but I kind of want to be first. If I act like I want to be first, it looks desperate, but I kind of want to be first. There's still this thing within us, right? Who's the greatest? What can I do? So Jesus gets their attention by saying, who wants to be first? And he says, you must be last of all. What? Last of all. And you must be servant of all. And what Jesus is trying to say here is that being great in the kingdom of Christ is not about you. It's not about you being great. It's not about you or me and my and your accomplishments and what more sources of, of power can I gain, whether it be popularity or Christ's kingdom is about God's power. That's what Jesus wants them to understand. It's a total paradox. It's really about us decreasing and Christ increasing. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But the more and more you and I become followers of Jesus and learn to follow Jesus, we are decreasing so that Christ can increase in us. And the paradox and irony is we finally meet ourselves. When we lose ourselves, when we give up power, we gain power. When we admit our weaknesses, we gain strength. It's the whole paradox of the gospel that he's been teaching them throughout Mark. And notice the power dynamics, though, of the disciples. Man, they're just seeking power they're just seeking power. And the irony is that the more you seek it, the more it sucks power from you. The more you seek power, the more power sucks power from you. It sucks the very life out of you. The more you try to bully and exert your power and control over others, you dehumanize not only those people, but yourself. And that's what Jesus is trying to protect them against. And so the power dynamic of Jesus is be empowered. Don't go steal power away. Don't go bully others. Don't go, you know, reminding someone that you have a title over them or your whatever, race, gender, whatever, is more superior than theirs. Be empowered. And he's reminding you, be empowered by the cross and by the resurrection of Jesus. That's where your power comes from. 
regardless of what position, what title, what influence, what charisma, whatever each of us all have. That's where your power is, is at. That we would see the love of God that served us and went to the cross for us. That's power like no one has ever seen. Jesus lays down his power. The scripture says that he went to the cross with joy. Wow. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Christ is dying for enemies. Christ is dying for sinners like you and me. He's placing his power down. He's giving it up to die so that he might rise. And what would it look like? Here's a question for me and you this week as you're wondering, how do I apply this? How do I use what we're talking about here? What could it look like to serve one another? What would that look like? to serve one another instead of trying to compete with each other about who's the greatest among us. What would that look like? Perhaps it looks like sometime this afternoon or today, maybe tonight, to, to sort of think and pray, God, is there someone in my life right now that you want me to serve? Is there someone that you want to place on my mind or my heart that, that really needs encouragement? You want me to serve them in some way. Who is that? Maybe that's better than me telling you who it is and telling you exactly to go do this or that. And Jesus doesn't treat, it that, treat us that way either. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now to illustrate this, Jesus takes a little child. That's very poignant here what he does to illustrate his point. He takes a little child, he places a little child right in front of them and again, I want you to notice the power dynamics of Jesus. What's so significant here is Jesus' tenderness. Have you met that Jesus? Have you experienced the tenderness of Jesus? Maybe for you, Jesus is a harsh person trying to steal your power. And the chase ensues. He's out to get me and my power and my fun and my sexuality and my job and my music and my whatever and I'm going to run as far away from that as I can. But when you begin to know Jesus in his tenderness, you see a Jesus that continues to come after you and a Jesus who's not afraid of you and a Jesus who lays down his life for you. Whoever receives me receives one such child in my name, receives me, Jesus says in verse 37. Children were marginalized in ancient society. They were marginalized. They were viewed as people without power. No decision-making ability. And yet Jesus is going to take someone like that and teach them a lesson about power dynamic. He's also going to use um, little ones where he does this in verse 42, where he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. Here's a warning from Jesus regarding power. That a terrible use of influence and power is causing someone else to sin. 
Leading others into sin. Wow. I mean, there's wrong uses of power, but leading others into sin. It just goes to a whole new level. So little one here means someone of low or no status. And to humbly care for a little one of no status is what you and I are called to do. We're not to just hang out with the people of power and influence. Sometimes as we want to hang out with those type people, it's really quite selfish. We just want to hang out with them so that we feel empowered. And the difference in Christ's power dynamic is that we receive power from the cross and his resurrection so that we can hang out with and build relationships with the lowly, those who don't have power, those who have been marginalized, so that we can serve those people in the name of Christ. In conclusion, a few questions. Do you feel powerful? Do you feel powerful? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 is almost a warning if you do feel powerful. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in your own abilities or your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, God, and he will make your paths straight. Do you feel powerful? Prophet Jeremiah, uh, Juan led us in this very passage in our call to worship. I'll read it again. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast about their wisdom or feel power and powerful because of what they know. Don't let the strong boast about their strength. Don't let the rich boast about their riches, but let the one who boasts, what that really means is let the one who wants to really truly find power boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And just one last word here regarding if you feel power. If you are in a position of power, if you are in a position of influence, help others. Serve others. Don't exert your power over others to control others. In Jesus' name, bring healing, bring mercy to those who need it desperately. Fight for them. Stand up for them. Do you feel powerless? We're here, and some of us feel very powerless. We may be working through something that we're suffering through, a family member is suffering, or we ourselves are suffering. And we just feel absolutely powerless. We may feel powerless at work. We may feel powerless in a, in a relationship that we're in. And I'm not going to give a quick answer here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not going to give a quick answer here, but I will say that there is unspeakable mystery for why God allows suffering and the misuse of power. I don't think I'll ever understand it. But God invites you and I, if we feel powerless, to do what those in the book of Exodus were doing. As they were enslaved, they cried out. They kept crying out. And at times, they thought God didn't care, wasn't listening. And yet they kept crying out. 
And in the book of Exodus, God assures them, I've heard your cry. I've heard it. I've heard it, and I'm going to deliver you. Or we might be like Frederick Douglass in that prayer. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Or we might be like the psalmist in Psalm 54 that says, Come with great power, O God. Rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They are nothing. And they care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. It's one of those prayers that you and I have license to pray. It's in scripture. Praying against and for those who are coming against you because of their power being exerted over you. Pray for it. Pray against it. Lastly, and last question here is, do you feel empowered? As you leave here, as you and I leave here and go about our day and the rest of our upcoming week here, do you feel empowered? Are you reminded that your power, your identity comes not from what's in your bank account? Comes not from what sticker is in the back of your car, whether you graduated from or your grandkid graduated from. It's not a, power is not there. Power is in a deeper identity. It's in a deeper source. It's in the cross and it's in the resurrection. That's who you are. Find your power there. Tap into that power. Live in that power. Remember the cross and resurrection and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit who is the source of power for you and me. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Last question. Who do you need to serve this week? Who is it? Who, who else in your sphere or, or people that you know needs to be here at the table church? And, 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 who, and, and who does the table church need to go to instead of hoping that everybody comes to us? Remind yourself and remind each other of your source of power and let's go give it away. Let's empower people. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, shape our view of power dynamics by your cross, by your resurrection. You're the only true source of power that we can trust. So empower us with your presence as we learn to follow you. Have mercy on us. And we pray in your name. Amen. Oh, <laughs>